to anyone listening, uh, if you can put yourself in a position, whether that's leading a stretch project or maybe leading a team initiative uh, where you're forced to be the person that the buck stops with. I mean, take every one of those opportunities as early as you can in your career because you will learn how you uniquely make decisions and where you failed and why and where you succeeded and why. And then you just try to keep repeating what works for you. Hey everyone, welcome to the Power of Why podcast. This is an interview style show that talks to leaders who are purpose driven. I started to notice a pattern amongst folks who are fulfilled and lived in alignment. They walk different, they know why they spend time doing their work, and they are fueled by impact. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 34 of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Haile, and today I am joined by an amazing friend named Sarah Haggard. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. I cannot wait to be uh, in this discussion and and to be on this podcast. It's It's a real honor. Thank you for being here. I know it's been a long time coming. And to finally, you know, come to a place where you have been doing incredible things in your business. And I really wanted to sit down and like unpack that with you. So for some context for the audience, uh, Sarah is a speaker, writer, builder, and creative uh, who loves to tell stories. Sarah started her company, Tribute, because she is, quote, passionate about the power of human connection and using storytelling as a means to find that connection. And when women feel connected, we feel empowered, supported, and most importantly, capable of achieving our most aspirational goals without sacrificing who we are or what we believe in. That's something that Sarah quoted in an article that I recently read about her. And for those of you who don't know, Tribute, which turns two in January, is a modern enterprise-level mentorship app that connects individuals through their shared life experiences. And with this, Sarah's mission is to redefine mentorship through a mobile-first platform. And prior to making the transition into Tribute, Sarah worked at Microsoft as a sales and marketing leader and has a you know, decade-long experience in product and program management, supporting a $5 billion Windows commercial business. And during this time, she also completed her MBA in 2011 from Seattle University. And uh, one thing that I admire greatly about Sarah is her energy. She is intentional about connecting people. She is intentional about spreading love. And one cool fact about her is she actually lives on a houseboat in downtown Seattle. And when Sam and I went down here, we got to stay with her and, and see what it was like to be, you know, in her presence. And uh, I'd really love to welcome you, Sarah. Thank you for being here again. Yeah, thank you for the lovely introduction. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your origin story, Sarah. Like, what was it like for you growing up and a little bit about your journey before, before Tribute and before Microsoft? Thank you. So my origin story, I grew up in the Midwest. So I grew up in Chicago and, you know, had a, a pretty, I'd say, otherwise normal upbringing um, at the time for all I knew. And, you know, always participated in school activities, you know, got to high school. um, And, you know, for me, that's kind of when life just started getting a little bit difficult. You know, my parents had been married a few times and the house was, you know, starting to get, um, you know, the home life was starting to kind of impact my ability to show up for school and my friends. And I really struggled, I think, a lot through high school, which um, ironically today, you know, is a big part of my work around belonging and inclusion um, and and the work we're trying to do with Tribute. Uh, But it was a trying 
period in my life. And, you know, I, I didn't always fit in and I did struggle a lot. And, you know, I went to college, I went to an amazing college, I had that opportunity and I wanted to major in, I wanted to do something with social justice, you know, something in the humanities world of, you know, how can I make the world a better place? You know, funny enough, my brother was the kind of STEM boy genius, you know, and I was always the humanities kid and I ended up working for Microsoft and he went to go be a missionary in Albania. So I'm not really sure how that happened, but, you know, went to college, studied uh, anthropology, culture, worked on the front lines of social work and just really, you know, was motivated and inspired to make the world a better place. And through that work, realized it's really, really hard to do that on the front lines of social work. Um, As we know, there are just so many micro and macro factors that kind of impact uh, poverty, that impact, uh, you know, substance abuse and, uh, you know, all the the struggles, right, that we have in our society today. Just there's so many different factors that impact that. And I decided pretty early on in my college career that I knew I needed to make a difference, but I knew I needed to go into business somehow to do it, right, because that's where the money influence and power was. And if I could, you know, take that and wield that for good, then I could be a social change agent. Uh, and the one that I wanted to be. And so I ended up picking up a double major into business, moving out to Seattle early on in my career and landed at Microsoft. Uh, you know, I couldn't, as I mentioned, I was probably the most surprised person of all that I, here I am with my anthropology degree showing up at Microsoft and truly for the next decade, <laughs> uh, most of the time felt like an imposter, right? That I didn't belong there because I wasn't a computer scientist or an engineer mm-hmm. Um, or somebody building the tech, but I was always the person kind of running the programs, working in product management, talking to customers, and I really thrived in that career. I, I had a phenomenal opportunity and, and experience working with Microsoft. You know, for me, one of the other observations I had was that we always kept meeting each other sort of in this false self uh, context, right, of here's my resume, here's my title, here's my accolades, here's my accomplishments. Um, and it felt like this sort of rat race to get ahead of each other, these accomplishments. And it really, I really struggled to connect with fellow coworkers, uh, to connect with mentors, uh, you know, beyond my, uh, my manager or my initial team. And I think for me, the culmination of tribute, even in its name, uh, to me is about bringing that human connection element and all the research and, and study on why we connect when we do, why we disconnect when we do, together with modern technology. Uh, and, and bringing those two things together to say, you know, there's an opportunity here to change how we find mentors in the workplace, uh, not only from a tech-enabled perspective, because spreadsheets as we use them in many companies today don't scale to help everybody find the mentor that they need, uh, but what if we were to leave with storytelling? What if we were to, to unpack some of the life experiences that we've all gone through, for me, starting all the way back in high school, uh, all the way through to, to today, um, what if I was able to find somebody who's maybe gone through the experiences I've gone through or is going through them now, and and we could connect on that playing field uh, to find mentors and mentees within a work context? You know, mm-hmm. What would that look like? And, and could that change the relationships uh, that we make at work and help foster a greater sense of belonging uh, for all of us, which we know now research has proven, you know, over and over and over again that, you know, there is a tremendous value in belonging, not just as a human, but for companies and their bottom line. Uh, there was one study just published that shows that a company of over 10,000 employees can save $52 million a year in investing in 
uh, their employees feeling like they belong. So mm. you know, this isn't like a soft and fuzzy kind of nice to have. It's, it's moving into kind of the heart and soul of what companies uh, need to start prioritizing. So it's a long way to answer that. But I mean, I think really the short, the short summary of that is I think I realized that my makeup of the life experiences and the trials and tribulations that I went through from my parents' multiple divorces to my mother passing away at uh, 27 uh, to dealing with substance abuse issues in the home, you know, all of those things that I wanted to bury and not talk about actually make me who I am today. And they make me a great leader today. And I can walk a lot of people through the life experiences that they're going through that might hinder Mm -hmm. them from being their best selves at work, you know, through that experience. And so I, I, I think that origin story is really kind of leads us to today where, you know, I've got a company called tribute and that mm-hmm. in its name is, is really meant to say, you know, you are, it's paying tribute to who you are and that makeup mm-hmm. of experiences and how you can pay that forward to other people. Wow. And, you know, I'm curious, even in your own experiences, finding mentors and people that you could connect to at the workplace. This is something, this was a gap that you were facing for yourself um, before you went on to even, you know, think about creating like a product for other people. And so how did you go about finding, finding mentors in your company? Like, did you resort to, you know, going outside of the organization to connect with people, whether that was about advancing in your career or being a leader yourself, um, one that leads with empathy at the end of the day? Um, so what was your personal journey around finding mentors and people that you can connect with? Yeah, I got really lucky on one sense that, you know, within days of beginning my career at Microsoft, I met a woman named Eileen, who's uh, more like a mother figure to me now. I mean, she's a lifetime mentor uh, for me. And, you know, so it happened by accident that her and I got to meet and she was, you know, a few generations older than I uh, definitely a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom, but her wisdom and it was unique in that her lessons that she was teaching me at 24 were, hey, pick up the phone to conduct meetings. You know, don't always send an email. It was things like look up in the elevator and make eye contact and say hello to people. It was mm-hmm. the value of kindness and right. integrity and compassion and curiosity and, and this was you know 12 years ago where we certainly weren't talking about this in the workplace and I thought how strange you know I grew up in the midwest you know we have a, a really solid work ethic you know you come to work you leave your personal life at the door and you just do the job that's being asked of you and I I thought that mentorship was only about skills development and mm-hmm. what Eileen taught me all those years ago that now you know we're, we're building into tributes fabric and core is that you can actually mentor the whole person, not just the skills, and actually watch those skills develop alongside that personal development, right? And so, um, you know, I got really lucky to find Eileen. I I think, though, if I were being honest with you, I didn't know what I had at the time. I just thought, huh, this is interesting. This is a person who I relate to in a completely different way than anybody else that I'm talking to at work. And, And it was very subtle. And over time that I found myself starting to soften and speak up more and gain more confidence and you know and really start to um, go for some of these bigger goals you know that maybe I wouldn't have done beforehand 
you know, but the flip side of that, that, you know, answer that question is that whenever I actively sought out mentorship within Microsoft or around it, that was when it, it would just sort of fall down where it was like, okay, well, first of all, where do I look, you know? And second of all, uh, okay, now I have a list of names. Like, what do, what do I say to these people? Do I just walk up? It's kind of like walking up to somebody and asking, will you be my friend? You know, <laughs> personal, Yeah. you know? And so it always felt strange, you know? It was like, if I didn't have a place to look or, you know, even if I did, it felt strange to just walk up and ask somebody that. Um, there were several times in my career where I was identified as a high potential employee and then put in a mentorship program, which was mm-hmm. more or less, you know, and, and then, you know, somebody organizing, you know, matches across different uh, folks using a spreadsheet. Well, that also didn't work very well for me. You know, I, I remember one of my first uh, mentor meetings with this woman who I got matched with uh, after a really successful year. And, you know, we were sitting there having coffee, no connection whatsoever. And I swear to you, she must have looked at her phone about 10 different times, just waiting mm-hmm. to get out of this conversation. And, you know, it, it, it was ironic because here I was placed in this mentorship because I was performing so well. And yet I walked away from that conversation with less confidence. Uh, yeah. And that didn't seem to work either. You know, so whether it was me trying to find my own mentor actively or getting put in one of these mentorship programs, it just never seemed to stick um, or, or achieve the outcome that, you know, mentorship does has that potential. Um, so, so I've kind of had both experiences where one sort of came organically to me and I didn't even know what I had and now it's grown into this you know very core uh, relationship that I have and that I use every day Uh, and then you know this other experience of of actively trying and not having anywhere or any place to go that's you know those two experiences together have have really shaped and formed uh, what tribute is today Mm -hmm. yeah and I can imagine too even on that path of being placed in mentorship programs, for example, but even connecting with other people who were probably feeling just as frustrated. You know, there are folks, even if you're not necessarily a high performer in your organization, but getting to a place where you are confident with your skills and even speaking up like at a, at a board, you know, at a boardroom meeting where for some that could be completely unnatural, right? And very fearful too. So what were some of the things that you were hearing um, amongst your peers around finding people that they can connect with? Were, were you at that point sharing some of your strategies for developing those relationships with other colleagues as well? You know, no, is the honest answer. I think I felt like it was my responsibility to find a mentor. And it felt like looking left to right, everybody else seemed to be successful except for me. Mm. And so I just internalized it, you know, as my problem or my my inability to find this mentor was, was something I was or wasn't doing correctly. So um, no, it, it wasn't even a topic of conversation. I mean, at the very end of my career, I ended up uh, joining uh, a women at Microsoft board. And that's truly the first time that I had a a group of women sitting around the table talking about the importance of mentorship and how we were going to help each other and women in the organization find mentors. Um, So I raised my hand to be our, you know, mentorship coordinator, just so I could experience what it feels like to try and match uh, people in an organization. And it was, it was, so much work and this wasn't my day job you know it wasn't like we were getting paid for this or we had time for this we still had the expectation to go out and do our day jobs 
Um, and there's a whole other podcast we could do about, you know, emotional labor and all the things that women do at work, you know, that are not a part of our day jobs, right. That mm -hmm. sort of distract us, you know, from our performance. Um, but, but no, I think that was the only time that I really even talked to other women about how they approached mentorship. Because mm -hmm. um, I just thought it was my personal responsibility to, to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And in that transition from, you know, your corporate career into entrepreneurship versus, because you were almost an entrepreneur, right? During your time at Microsoft where you're leading startup initiatives as a product, uh, product manager for a multinational tech company. So, you know, in your transition, what has that looked and felt like for you, Sarah, these past two years? Yeah. Yeah, I think, again, one of those things is always interesting in hindsight, this 2020. I don't think I knew I was an entrepreneur when I was taking on these stretch projects, turnaround initiatives, new business, you know, incubations. But, but yeah, I think my time at Microsoft, first and foremost, it's a phenomenal company. So, I mean, I think it just, it was an amazing company. Um, but my time there and working on these sort of more entrepreneurial pursuits while there definitely helped me, uh, gave me confidence when I decided to go out on my own and create something that I had the fundamentals. And, you know, when I say that, I say, I knew how to write a business plan. I knew how to write a go-to-market plan. I knew how to manage a budget. I knew how to uh, you know, the importance of branding and customer research and product development and iteration and all of those things that are really core to, to creating any kind of business. And, you know, uh, Microsoft has a lot more resources, structure, etc., cetera, uh, in which to create a new business from within. Um, but the fundamentals are the same. And so I think, you know, uh, as an aside, you know, when I mentor a lot of uh, women, mostly college-age women, who are looking to get into their first careers, or maybe they're in their 20s, I often will advise them to go work at a big company and get those fundamentals, right? I mean, we all want to work on the things that make us passionate, that move the world, um, and, and I think there's a definite time and place to do that. I think, you know, early in career, go get those fundamentals, because when you, get, when you have those muscles and you go to apply it to what you are passionate about, and you've got money saved in the bank so that you've yes. got a personal runway to go pursue that. You know, we often don't talk about that, but uh, there's a lot of money involved in yeah. making that transition as well. And you have to budget, you know, and save and build up that nest egg uh, to be able to self-fund uh, your life, you know, while you're building this business. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think I'm very grateful for having those 10 years and, and being able to so those, you know, fundamental muscles on several different businesses, which, which really prepped me for entrepreneurship. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of other <laughs> lessons and things that I've learned since actually making the leap that, you know, working at Microsoft could have never prepared me for, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you, you take some things, but there's a lot of brand new lessons to learn. Right. outside of, of corporate America. And what have some of those lessons been for you? Because I know like looking from the outside in, sometimes it seems like a straight line path, like one opportunity led to the next one and there was nothing maybe happening in between. But for you as being, you know, the operator and the visionary, what has that entrepreneurial journey been like for you building tribute? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a good uh, analogy. It's definitely not a linear path by any means, although um, it's interesting. You know, when you are 
building a business and brand and, and working to recruit early adopter customers and looking to gain early investor interest, you know, one of the things you learn pretty quickly is, you know, to lead with your best foot forward, right? So always saying, you know, hey, here's all the great traction, all the great progress, all the, you know, amazing work that we're doing. And that can sometimes, you know, feel like a lot of pressure uh, for the entrepreneur that is going, you know, 10 steps backwards to take that one step forwards, you know, and, and, and for me, you know, finding communities like the Female Founders Alliance here in Seattle um, have been tremendously helpful in finding other female entrepreneurs where we can go have those, you know, holy crap, I just took 10 steps backwards. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, we can have those conversations with each other, support one another at the end of the day. Yes, with building tribute, we are, we are so many steps ahead of where we started two years ago. And, we've, you know, the line is trending upward. Um, but but it's definitely not a linear path. And I think, um, you know, one of the lessons I've learned since becoming an entrepreneur that I, I don't think you can learn this when you're working in a stable job at a, at a big company is just how to deal with uncertainty, like truly mm -hmm. how to manage not knowing and moving ahead anyway. Right. And I think at a big company, you may not know the answer to a problem or you might be, you know, you're, you're definitely working on difficult work. I mean, I, I, I worked on some really challenging projects, but you don't uh, have that fundamental uncertainty of, am I, you know, paying my mortgage this month? Am I, you know, able to afford uh, that new suit that I need? Uh, can I buy that plane ticket to go to that investor meeting? You know, and, and just this, this sort of rug gets pulled out from underneath you um, that, you know, you intellectually know, but until you experience it and at the same time, as an entrepreneur, you're, you are expected to be succeeding despite that uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest lesson is like, it's very humbling <laughs> being an entrepreneur <laughs> because you are, you are, you know, you are learning and drinking from the fire hose and doing all these things and learning how to level up in so many different ways while being expected to perform at your best, you know, it's almost like being a NFL athlete in the red zone, you know, with, you know, two, two minutes on the time clock, you know, and you've got to make that play. Uh, and it's just, you got to make it, you know, mm -hmm. I think uh, it's so the, that kind of pressure and succeeding in uncertainty and pressure, uh, find your calm leveling up, you know, th these are things I just wasn't, uh, I don't think I would have been able to to truly live them, you know, while working in a, a big company and, and having a stable paycheck. Yeah. Right. And it's almost like having your back against the wall too. So in that, in the first time that happened, Sarah, how did you deal with that pressure and, you know, not knowing what was going to happen next, looking back and what would you, yeah, I'd like to hear that first. And then maybe like, what would you have done differently? Yeah. Um, well, I'd say the first time I really felt that pressure was February 16th of this year when I was skiing uh, with a guy I had just started dating and I wanted to take him out to show him this, the slopes uh, and two runs, the second run into the day, I got hit by a snowboarder from behind and yeah. completely wiped out. Um, in my right mm -hmm. knee, I tore my ACL, I tore my meniscus, my entire posterior lateral tendons all just got obliterated because of the angle at which this guy hit me um, and my skis never came off. And so oh my God. Uh, in that moment, um, it time slowed down. And I, I remember hearing the pop 
thinking, oh my God, like, oh my God. And then falling to the ground and clutching my knee and thinking, what have I done? Because mm-hmm. that was the first moment that I realized I wasn't going to have the gold star health insurance that, you know, I had working at this major company. And I thought this accident is going to be expensive. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. But that was like two weeks before walking out of Microsoft full time. This accident right. happened. And yeah. it was a moment of reckoning for me. Um, you know, the other, so got tobogganed down uh, from the hill, uh, realized the extent of my injuries and realized uh, that I wasn't able to walk uh, because it was my right knee. I wasn't able to drive. And because, as you mentioned, I live on a houseboat, which has two stories with my bedroom being upstairs, I had to move out of my home. And all of this was going on as I was walking out of 10 plus years of the only safety and security that I knew. And um, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of tears, a lot of anxiety, um, and really a lot of um, just fear, really, is the best way to say it, of, of not knowing, <clears throat> not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. You know, in addition to walking out, I had two major, two conferences that I had purchased tickets to go to. And this was kind of my uh, sort of welcoming into the world as a tribute employee instead of Microsoft employee. Um, you know, I've been building tribute kind of alongside Microsoft. This was my, my first time going to conferences rep- representing you know, me and my business. And so I had all this, all these meetings, all these uh, conferences to go to. And, and honestly, I think that, uh, and I didn't know how I was going to get around. And anyway, I ended up getting in a brace and I went to these conferences on crutches. <laughs> I made these meetings by uh, help from friends getting around by Uber driving me around. Um, it's really hard to get into a Prius, by the way, with a brace <laughs> on your leg, just random. Uh, but I, I figured that out too. You kind of slide across the back seat with your leg up and it works. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I figured it out. And I think that the biggest thing I did it's just, I just kept moving. Right. I just, I just kept going. I, I, there was so many, there was every reason in the world to stop. I mean, it was, it was crazy. One of my first pitch competitions was six days after my knee surgery and I was still leaning off of all of the heavy drugs that you have to take for a major surgery like that. And, you know, I remember trying to get on my pantyhose to, you know, put those on with this dress and I couldn't, and I was home alone at this time and I couldn't get them on. And I just sat there on my bed and just started sobbing. Like, what am I doing? You know, and it's so like, there's so many other lessons about being 35 years old and not being able to like dress yourself and drive yourself and the humility that comes with that, let alone having to put yourself out there and pitch your business. Um, and, you know, I just cleaned up my face, figured out how to get pantyhose on, dress on. Um, my dad came to pick me up and I went and pitched this competition and, and people still, you know, come up to me and say, that was so amazing that, you know, we got to hear your business six days after surgery. Like, um, so, you know, I think that was the first of many times where life has thrown a curveball and you really just have to keep moving as mm-hmm. cliche that sounds, you know, um, because you do figure it out, you know, the help shows up. Uh, but for me, I'd say the, the hardest thing that, that I notice I have is, is just the sleepless nights. You know, I definitely we'll wake up in the middle of the night and start ruminating of all the things that need to be done and all the ways things could go wrong, of course. Um, and, you know, so I think for me, it's, it's sort of keep moving, but find those outlets, you know, whether it's your friends or your support, 
uh, running was a huge outlet for me, which of course I couldn't do this year. Um, so that was really tough, but, but finding those self-care outlets too, that you can really manage that anxiety because any time you step out into the unknown, it is human nature that we are going to be more fearful, more cautious, more anxious. And so quelling that um, down so that you can be productive and successful despite that going on. I think that's uh, what makes truly great entrepreneurs succeed. Mm -hmm. Wow. A few things, because I mean, even as you share that, I'm like, Sarah was so maybe, you know, much more resilient than you thought that you were when you had experienced that on February 16th. For you, what was your process in really understanding what Sarah needs? when things are difficult or, you know, things are becoming more challenging. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, a couple of years, th th my journey of figuring, answering that question actually started many years before creating Tribute. Um, and it actually, you know, I know exactly when it began. It was 2014. Um, it was the year I started running. Uh, but that was the year I turned 30 uh, that year. And I realized that I needed to take full stock and accountability for kind of, how I showed up in the world, if that makes sense. And, um, and, and that there was things I could do between working out and meditation and um, support groups with friends that I was creating. You know, there's things that I could do, eating healthy, sleeping eight hours a night, that really I, I noticed a major difference in how I showed up in the world and how I was able to handle the unexpected. And so I think for me it was, you know, always when you're in the midst of, chaos right it's very easy to forget that those tools are there but I think for me I was lucky in that I had a kind of I had a toolbox with those tools already in it that I knew I could go to um, I think the second half of that is you know using them <laughs> it's very easy and I'm totally guilty of this of you know pulling the sheets over your head you know not wanting to get out of bed and just avoiding it and being in denial and, and kind of sulking a little bit before we get up and go okay this is what we need to do for ourselves but um but I was, I was lucky that I had that mental model of self-care for what I needed to go to. Um, but, you know, one of those tools that I just mentioned running was a big one for me that, that was taken away. I think that was really difficult. And I think for me, um, learning to slow down, which is something that I'm not terribly good at, um, mm -hmm. was the, the sort of antidote to, you know, to not having running is okay well you don't have this there's nothing you can do you can't swim you can't bike you can't even go to the gym so this just isn't going to be possible so maybe instead you know slow down ask for help more often be more reflective I think just giving myself that permission that it's okay like the world isn't going to fall down fall apart if you don't run three or four times a week was was a big part of me sort of making peace with not having that tool in my toolkit and then looking to others like meditation and, and spending time with friends mm -hmm. is really a huge one for me. Right. I think that's also why uh, for tribute, a big part of our experience is we have a community part right. of our app that allows people to form groups and whether that group is around an employee resource group or whether that group is around a topic like imposter syndrome. Right. And I think it's really, really important as humans to find other people that are going through what we're going through and feeling like you're not alone. And that in of itself can, can help ease a lot of the anxiety around you know, some of the curveballs that life throws us. Mm -hmm. And I think also like your, 
because you as Sarah is, you know, you're very community oriented. And I think the fact that you as Sarah, those are your values, it inevitably transpired in your business and is a core part about, you know, how you lead tribute and the community that you're building as well. It's, it's fantastic. And so I'm curious when it comes to this topic about leadership and I mean, early in your conversations, you've talked about a mentor who, you know, really showed you a fantastic example of being empathy fueled. What is it for you? What does it mean to be a true leader? And how have you taken those in, in being a leader in your own company, starting Tribute? Yeah, I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind for sure is leading from the front. I think I've always been a sort of servant leader who thrives by serving others, whether that's communities, whether that's coworkers, whether that's the cause, mission. And I think it's really important that leaders lead from the front, that you're willing to roll up your sleeves, that you're willing to get into the details. Um, you know, also, of course, there's, there's arguments to be made around delegation and, and empowering your people. Uh, but I think truly great leaders, the ones that I admire anyway, are those who, who uh, understand the business, understand the pain points that they're solving, are willing to get in alongside those that they serve and, and really dig in to find the solutions with them, you know, and, and, you know, I like, I have this analogy, you know, that I think, um, you know, great leaders sort of play all roles in the, on the team, you know, before they become the quarterback, right. Mm -hmm. they, they understand, you know, uh, innately what it takes to build and operate a well functioning team. And mm -hmm. only with that knowledge, do they come to the front or the center and start leading and I think, you know, so I, th I think that that's my philosophy on leadership. I think what makes truly great leaders are people who prioritize kindness, empathy, courage, uh, but, but ultimately who get results, right? Because none of the, you know, none of the, the warm, fluffy stuff, as people like to call it, you know, matters if you aren't driving results, right? But, but also what I've found in my career is that, you don't actually get to the results without the warm and fluffy stuff, right? Mm. People don't want to work hard for somebody they don't respect. People don't want to work hard for a company that, uh, or leaders that are always on vacation or never available or not actually right. role modeling the behaviors that they're asking of the people that follow them. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that, you know, it, it's just so refreshing, Naomi, to see in at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, that we're even able to say that empathy and kindness and compassion are, are mandatory leadership traits. There's been so many examples this year from WeWork to Uber to even, you know, away and their latest fiasco of, of leaders getting ousted for not prioritizing that, you know, and I think it's really, really refreshing. That's the way I like to lead and truly digging into understanding kind of how my team and my people operate. And I'm looking forward to, 2020 and being able to onboard and build tribute to, to bring on some of our first employees and to kind of set that culture and tone from the beginning and to, and to see what we can create. Yes, set that culture and tone from the beginning, which is essential because I think it's so much more difficult to come in at like 500 people, maybe across North America, large companies that 
and, and say, you know, we want to help in shifting or um, uplifting the culture from within, but I think it's so much easier to come in with that intentionality from day one. And I think your founders um, really play a crucial role in this, in this happening and right building with community in mind and building with the right foundation so that it's, it's part of the way that we do business rather than mm-hmm. something that we've added on later. And so for you, when it comes to hiring and bringing on those early, you know, early individuals, early employees, maybe three things that you look for in, in, in hiring, what would those be? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I, God, that's a good, that's a good one. I think, you know, for me, what I look for are, gosh, three, that's a really good question. If I had to summarize it succinctly, I would say intelligence. You know, I love hiring smart people and people that are smarter than me mm-hmm. <laughs> because it will always up level me and, and the surrounding, you know, group of people. So I think, you know, intelligence and the way, you know, your mind operates, how do you problem solve? You know, how do you mm-hmm. think the way you think uh, to me is just as fascinating as what you think in many cases. Um, so I think there's that. I think being a team player, being collaborative, you know, somebody who's transparent and open, right. They're not, uh, in it for themselves, they're in it for the the team because the way information flows across companies. You know, I've been on great teams at Microsoft, and I've been on bad teams at Microsoft, right? Where and you know the, the biggest difference beyond the culture, you know, top down for me was uh, how information flowed within that mm-hmm. team, right? When everybody has access to the same information and we're sharing ideas and we're valuing ideas, uh, then things happen. You know, then we all get better, right? But when you're kind of hiding your best ideas or you're afraid to bring your best ideas to the table because you think they'll get stolen or not appreciated or, you know, what have you. I think um, that's where you start to see some dysfunctions in a team. So I think somebody who's, you know, intelligent uh, is a team player. Um, and I think that the final thing would, would, would have to probably come back to, you know, the leader, you know, are, do they demonstrate leadership qualities themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Are they, leaning into mentoring others or, you know, how have they developed their own leadership style and approach uh, to managing themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And how they show up in the world because, and that's where I think I just have to go back. I think that's where life mentorship is going to be so important in this next decade because you can't come to work and be successful if you aren't managing, you know, your your life, you know, uh, eating healthy, good sleeping habits, working out, being connected with your community, uh, having good relationships with friends and family and and others. I mean, it's just there's so many more parts of ourselves uh, that that we have, and and it, you know, or or things that happen to us, right? You know, loved ones pass away. We have. We have kids and we don't sleep at night, right? We move cities, we move towns, we, you know, just all these things happen. We get divorced, right? Mm-hmm. There's all these things that happen that, you know, uh, how we thrive in that uncertainty, how do we uh, show up when everything falls apart in the mm-hmm. world is, is just as much a signal to how we lead others and teams, right? Uh, as to how you manage yourself. So I think that's something that, you know, you know, I would say intelligence, right? Somebody who has invested in, 
and thinks thoughtfully, you know, and has mm-hmm. a brilliant mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody who's transparent and who's a team player and somebody who is already demonstrating uh, leader, the capability to be a great leader. And you can do that at any age. I don't think you have to wait until you get to the C-suite. I don't think you have to wait <laughs> until you get to the fifth or sixth floor, right? Your fifties or sixties. Yes. I think we can be demonstrating that uh, in our life at any age. If you really look. I that. agree. I agree. And also when it comes to your, I'm very curious by people's creative process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it comes to creating with intention, I use the word intention so much because I think it's, if you are thinking about, as you mentioned, how I show up when things are not going the way that I expected, but it's also like, what energy are you bringing into the room? What energy are you bringing into honing your craft? So when it comes to, you know, creating, what does creating mean to Sarah? And what are you striving to create through tribute? Like more than anything, it truly is a feeling, right? Mm, um, I love that question. You know, I grew up for most of my life thinking that I wasn't creative. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that we're talking about creativity and curiosity is also really amazing to me. But I just thought I wasn't creative because I didn't draw, I didn't paint, I didn't touch and go music instruments growing up, but there was never anything, you know, I didn't dance. I thought creativity was reserved for the arts. Mm. And because I didn't have a strong background or focus on that, uh, although now that I say that I I did, I I do sing and I sing through in choirs all the way through college, I guess that could have been my creativity, but I just had sort of labeled it as this other thing and saying, oh, I'm not that. So therefore I can't be creative. And today, I think creativity is just as much how we think. You can be creative with your words. You can be creative with your ideas. Uh, you can be creative with the products that you uh, build. You can even be creative for how you intentionally create community. Right? Mm. There's all kinds of communities that exist today. right? And, and how you shape and form and the norms that you set and and what the community is built to do and how you connect and why you connect, like all of that can be different and unique per that community. And so I think, so today, if you ask me, I'd say I'm a very creative person um, because I love problem solving. And I think I'm most creative when it comes to uh, ideas. Right. And so I think for me, my, um, it is interesting though. I think one of the things being an entrepreneur, that's an observation is, is you write a lot more. Right. So whether that's your monthly business update uh, that you're sending to kind of customers, partners, investors, whether that's a LinkedIn article, a medium article, a blog, um, or even just drafts on the whiteboard of what the next version of your product looks like. I I realized like the amount of writing Mm -hmm. and creating that goes into to building a business is markedly different than, than what I experienced, you know, working in, in, in corporate America. And I think uh, what I've learned is that um, so much of my creativity gets stuck in my own mind. And that just by, I bought myself a whiteboard early on in the process of creating tribute. And anytime I wanted to, to create something, I just started writing ideas or just yeah. words on yeah. that whiteboard or drew visual pictures and a hyper visual person right of what I wanted it to look like feel like do um, and that would then spark the next set of ideas and ideas and ideas and so I think for me my my creative process is about getting the words out on paper even if they're unstructured getting myself Mm -hmm. permission to put drawings and words down on the paper first 
um, and letting those kind of manifest into what that idea is going to ultimately look like or what that blog is going to say. Um, that just happened yesterday. I wrote my first Medium article, and I had this article in my head and in my mind for months. And I, I remember, you know, so many times sitting down and going, okay, Sarah, I'm going to write this, start to finish, go. Yeah. And it's just like it didn't happen. You know, I was like, I don't know why, but there's nothing. I got nothing. And, you know, I finally took some solo time, you know, the night before and just put the computer down and allowed myself some quiet reflection, um, allowed myself to write some things down but didn't give myself the pressure of having to create anything in that moment, just dedicated it to, to being quiet. And mm -hmm. I woke up the next morning and it was there. It was like, it just flowed all out of me in the <laughs> symphony of what I wanted. Right. Um, but that I couldn't have, have done, you know, before. So I think for me, you know, early morning writing is, is essential. I like to wake up, make that first pot of coffee, sit down and, and kind of let the, ideas flow so there's certain times of day that I've noticed that I, I am more creative or mm -hmm. in a creative flow more than others so I optimize my um, my schedule so that I'm not blocked with a ton of meetings in the morning so that I can actually you know use that time effectively uh, but but yeah it's kind of a I'd say that yeah that to summarize I'd say you know pick know when you're in your creative flow and know how how you spark that creativity and then oftentimes when I talk to other people it's it's true that just getting it out of your head into the form of words or visuals can often uh, unblock that, that vision or that idea that you have mm -hmm. in your mind. Yeah. And I think too, sometimes, I mean, for me, when I think there's a lot of pressure to have it like the first draft be your final draft that's going out. Mm -hmm. And I think that is for me, it was debilitating, right? Because by no means, it, I think even like draft six, is um doesn't have to be perfect right but at least you can refine and you can edit with something on your on your paper but what i really love about about what you're mentioning throughout this whole episode sarah has been talking about self-awareness and reflection in in ways that i love because i think sometimes too is just giving yourself space putting your technology away and maybe just like having a stack of paper a pencil and your brain <laughs> and yourself to just to just be there it can be so loud sometimes that we don't know how to get there we don't know how to get to that space of just quiet and no noise and so that can be tough when it comes to creating content creating experiences and getting yourself into the element of being able to do that and mm -hmm. so for you you've optimized for the times that that you know sarah is at her best i'm curious about how you make decisions as well and you know with this beyond prioritizing your schedule for the times that you're most productive how do you go about making decisions on managing your life and your business mm -hmm. yeah that's a, another really Great question, because I think that's a skill <laughs> that we all need to keep working on, right, is decision making, right? You know, you, you mentioned earlier that it can be paralyzing, you know, when you've got all these, or debilitating, I think was the word, you know, when you've got all these ideas and things that you want to do, but you just can't get it out. I think decision making can be like that too, right? You've got so many different paths you could take, and it can be paralyzing. And decision making is a skill that I've had to learn Mm -hmm. throughout my career in my life because there's there's considerations like time value of money right you know not making a decision or indecision can cost you right, right. Uh, making the wrong decision can set you down a path that you have to you know turn around from and sometimes untangling 
that decision can be difficult. And, you know, then there's the decision by committee, you know, we call it death by committee that we would often face where you have too many voices in the room. And so, you you know, you're kind of like, ah, how do I parse through while being collaborative and being receptive to feedback? I think definitely as an entrepreneur, there is no shortage of feedback <laughs> and advice that we get. And one of the things that I've had to really learn is to strengthen uh, that capability of getting quiet, building my own personal judgment, right? Because right. at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. When you're the CEO of your company, people are looking to you to make decisions. Now, I've got an advisory board and each of those advisors has a seat at the table because of their respective experience and uh, value that they get to add to contribute to my decision making. But, you know, just as recently as the week before Christmas, we were in a meeting with one of my advisors and getting a lot of feedback. And I, I had to say, you know what, on this one, I'm going to call it and I'm going to, you know, disagree with you on this. And this is the path that we're going to proceed. Mm -hmm. And this is why, you know? And so I think decision-making is not very much, it's not terribly different than sort of knowing yourself, but it does add layers of knowing your business, knowing your market, knowing the dependencies and the impacts of your decisions too. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, especially when it gets just out of, you know, you as an individual solo founder, and now you've got a team of people, you do need to think through all of the impacts and be able to do that rapidly. And you're not always going to get it right. So I think, you know, mm. uh, if I were to say prioritizing decision versus indecision, I always prioritize action versus inaction. Mm -hmm. um, just because there's, there's wisdom in that. But I think for me, it's been I am 36. I just turned 36. I think, oh gosh, last week. Yes. Um, happy birthday. <laughs> like what day is it? Today's Monday. It's in the holiday stretch of like, what day is it? Yes. Um, but you know, I'm 36 years old and I'm, I'm still learning on this. It's, it's not perfect. And there are, I will have, I will not lie to you. The, the hardest decisions I still struggle with today. And I, I seek validation around me, you know, a lot of times building your judgment, building confidence, uh, that you do have the right sense of things. Uh, it really only happens through experience. And so, you know, I'd say to anyone listening, uh, if you can put yourself in a position, whether that's leading a stretch project or maybe leading a team initiative uh, where you're forced to be the person that the buck stops with, I mean, take every one of those opportunities as early as you can in your career because mm -hmm. you will learn how you uniquely make decisions and where you failed and why and where you succeeded and why. And then you just try to keep repeating what works for you. Mm -hmm. I, I really like that. I wanted to, as we get into the final questions of the interview, there was one thing I was on the phone with my friend yesterday and she said, you know, oftentimes wisdom doesn't necessarily come with age. She talked about how wisdom is really the amount of time that an individual spent reflecting and thinking about how they make decisions and where they failed, why that ne didn't necessarily go the way as planned. So it was that time spent reflecting. And I think, you know, your advice to really gather and collect as many of those experiences as you can early was something that set you apart, Sarah. Like early in your career, you raised your hand, you sought out mentors and you learned from everybody and you learned from yourself too. Yeah, I think I, you know, it's funny. I don't even know if I knew I was doing that at the time. It, it's interesting. I, I think the other thing that I would add to wisdom is I think wisdom is gained through lived experiences. And I would build on what your friend said, which is when you 
take the time to reflect on those lived experiences that you had. Mm-hmm. You do find those nuggets of wisdom. You do find, um, you learn yourself. You learn that, yes, indeed, you are more resilient. You know, I can't tell you how many times I thought, I'm never coming back from this. And I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or, you know, being 18, you know, and, and really at the sort of fork in the road where, you know, I wasn't living up to my full potential in high school. You know, I was getting in trouble and acting out and doing things I shouldn't have been doing because I was, I was struggling and I was hurt, you know, with a lot of the family dynamics that we were struggling with at home. And, you know, I remember thinking being at just such a low and struggling with self-esteem and, and not knowing kind of how I was going to dig myself out of that and picking up and going to college and joining a sorority so that I could learn how to be friends with women. I mean, Hmm. as simple as that, right? I mean, but as you know, my first business name was, your tagline was find your tribe, you know, which is all about finding your tribe of women. And I've totally transformed how I relate with women um, Hmm. in my life today. But that started from, you know, being bullied in high school by women and feeling, you know, really uh, alone and struggling and, you know, self-sabotaging and then picking myself up and, and, saying, you know what, no, you know, you need to be better. You know, this isn't good enough. <laughs> and mm. you need to learn this, even if you're hurt, even if life isn't fair, you know, you need to pick up and you need to keep going and you need to, to constantly strive to be the best version of yourself that you can be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just one example. You know, I've got many in my lifetime. If I look back and when I work with mentees today, we do a life journey exercise. And I would, I would love to encourage all your listeners to do this. It's super simple and it's really profound. You take a piece of paper and you draw a chart on it, essentially an X and a Y axis, but, but make it a quadrant, right? And, and so above, uh, above the Y axis there, um, you want to put kind of anything positive that's happened to you below it, you know, anything maybe negative uh, that you would, you would say is a negative life event, you know, along that horizontal line yeah, is, yeah. is the time is it's, it's a time stamp from start yeah. to beginning right? And what you want to do is you want to plot, right? Your life experiences along kind of that positive, negative, up and down kind of vertical line across that horizontal line. And what's really, really fascinating is I've learned through doing that myself, that that one singular decision of deciding to go to college and to go to a college three hours away from home where I got to start fresh, where I picked a college that was academically challenging for me right to really level up that singular decision every other major life experience i've had now i'm not saying my life's been perfect but that singular decision flipped the trend line positive for me in my life and i remember i can go back to being 18 in a heartbeat and remembering how painful that time of my life was and how i never thought uh, i could be 36 you know having this conversation with you today the founder of a company, 10 years at Microsoft, amazing female friendships, an MBA, a houseboat that I got to build. I mean, I never would have dreamed that my life mm. would look this amazing, right? But, but do that life experience plot. I would, I would encourage everybody to do that because that's when you actually start to go, oh, those are the life-defining moments. Mm-hmm. And that's where you want to spend the time reflecting uh, to gain those nuggets of wisdom out of those life experiences. And that's your gift to the world. And that's your gift to other people. That's what makes you a phenomenal mentor. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you could do that at any age. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think 
part of tribute, you know, leading with storytelling and shared life experiences, not your age, not your title, you know, is there is a, a wisdom in democratizing mentorship because we all are a set of life experiences and wisdom that we get to contribute uniquely to each other and to the workforce. Wow. I'm definitely going to do that exercise as soon as in like the next 30 minutes because I think it definitely, I never thought about the turning point. What was that moment? And it could be several moments, but what was that moment that really changed looking back the trajectory of your life? And it could be a small, like in that moment, you didn't probably didn't think that that was going to be the thing. Right? No, I, I definitely I definitely didn't then. And until I did the exercise, I didn't, yes. I didn't see the visual yeah. timeline. Like, wow. And then I was like, wow, that was a really amazing choice. And I agree with you. I think you could have many turning points. It's, it's, it can be many things. But I think, you know, the other thing I would challenge your listeners to do is go on Medium or LinkedIn and write an article about what you've learned after you go do that exercise because that'll be your first time of of sitting reflecting harvesting and you know sharing out with the world um, mm-hmm. so you know find me on on social linkedin tag me i'd love to read it because yes. um, i love reading these stories of, of folks that you know that spend that time in reflection and, and what they find is just fascinating to me so mm. That'd be my other challenge. Yes, uh, to the audience. That we have we have some homework to do. <laughs> um, Sarah, yes, and then I, download tribute and tell your story on tribute. We'll yes. get there too. Yes, all the links will be in the show notes mm-hmm. and in the show notes. And you know, Sarah, these I have three remaining questions for you. One of them: Do you? I'm curious. Do you believe that our why and our purpose comes from our deepest pains? Wow. That's a good question. I would, I would have to say yes. I mean, and I think that it's so counterintuitive because for a long time I sought out my purpose because I just thought that's what successful people do, right? They, they pick a purpose or a cause or something that they care deeply about and they pursue it, you know, with tenacity and resolve and wow, look at these people go and what am I doing? <laughs> Why am I like you know, uh, in the back, you know, missing out on, on this incredible ride. And I realized that, yeah, when I actually started reflecting back on all the difficult things that happened to me, that was where I found my passion. That was where I found my purpose. I think, you know, finding your tribe to me means find the people, find your support network, find the group of people who just love you anyway, you Mm -hmm. know, and who champion you and who support you and who listen to you. And and you got to have a lot of different people on that board. You know, we talk about your personal board and it all have different vantage points and perspectives. And I think for me, Tribute's mission to help people feel a greater sense of belonging, which then in turn helps create, have help companies create better places to work is absolutely uh, built on my pain of not fitting in and not belonging and realizing how isolating that can be. And also through my studies and experience, you know, in the social sciences and, and, and that whole pursuit, you know, kind of academic pursuit, I realized this isn't just Sarah's feeling. This is a hu- this is human nature. This mm-hmm. is we are social beings. Uh, this is what we all deeply, at the end of the day, crave. You know, and that's why I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. You know, all of her work, you know, speaks yes. to this this core fundamental need for belonging. 
And when we share our experiences and the things that uh, we go through, we connect at just a, a, such a deeper level than we would do otherwise. And I think that connection is, is where mentorship begins. Mm. So it just kind of sort of my windy path, you know, has led me to today. <laughs> But, yeah. but yeah, don't discount the things that caused you pain and the things that were difficult for you uh, in finding that why, in finding that purpose, because I, that, as I started with, was very counterintuitive to me. I was always looking to the successes to somehow give me a clue mm-hmm. into what I was supposed to be doing. And I didn't, I didn't find my purpose and my why there, ironically. And, and in this, how do you celebrate your, your wins today? And how important is that, especially as an entrepreneur? (laughs) It's so important. Do I do it perfectly? No. Um, I often have to be reminded by people uh, in my support network to slow down and celebrate the wins. Um, So yeah, I'm definitely not an expert in this at all. You know, for me, I think my favorite way to celebrate a win is, uh, so I found this this winery here in in Seattle uh, called Fielding Hills, and they have a wine that's called Tribute. And so I thought some of the family... And they made it, um, it's a different blend every year, but it's a tribute to their grandfather. And it's just this incredible story. And so I, I in Chelan here in Washington, and, and I go and I, I, I buy several bottles at a time and I, I keep them in my wine cellar. Uh, I have an underwater wine cellar in my houseboat, which is pretty cool. Of course you do. <laughs> of course I do, right? But that, yeah. But like, so I keep, I keep these bottles of tribute. And yeah, my favorite thing to do is to come home, open up a bottle of tribute wine, invite friends, family, you know. Uh, around but just to just savor a really great glass of wine uh, and cheers uh, to you know a great conversation but again going back to community being able to celebrate alongside people it just it's that's probably my, my favorite way to celebrate mm-hmm. crazy how a name can bring people together I mean it brought it brought Sam and I to you I'm still so grateful that our paths have crossed it's crazy it's only been about what yeah, it's been over a year, but 10 months since we last met. And that was through Find Your Tribe. That was through the name and the essence and what it represented. So thank you, Sarah. And the, the final question on the Power of Why podcast is, what's your why? You know, when shit hits the fan and you are tired <laughs> and broken and on the brink of giving up on your mission, what is the reason that you keep going? And I want you to be really specific. Yeah, I, you know, I think... Specifically, it's that I know that we all have things in common, that that the root of the human experience, joy, grief, sadness, anger, excitement, it's all the same. Now, culturally, we look a lot different. We speak a lot differently. We have different beliefs. We have different values. We have different artifacts of these cultures. But it's just there is something so root fundamental in the human experience that that makes me deeply curious, incredibly motivated and energized to want to get to that that common denominator that we mm-hmm. all share. And I think that in tandem with that is we need to be able to get to that place faster, right? Because that's what's going to not only create a sense of belonging, but you know, I, what I loved about what you and Sam are doing with Find Your Tribe and now inclusively is is it also helps us have a greater understanding of what makes us diverse and what makes mm-hmm. us unique and 
you know, gives us greater compassion for diversity when we see it. Diversity in thought, diversity in experience, diversity in color, race, ethnicity, right? All those things. I think it just, it allows us to be more curious about what makes us different and not on guard. I just, I think I've always had a bleeding heart, you know, to help sort of the underdog, you know, to help create a better world. I remember famously telling my parents at nine that I was never going to go into computers because I wanted to help people. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, here we are. Um, but that, that was a very different time, you know, when, when technology was a lot more inaccessible, you know, and my parents were both uh, very intelligent uh, computer scientists that I swear I never wanted to touch computers uh, growing up. So it's, it's kind of kind of funny. Uh, but I think that's my why is, yeah. is that I want to connect people. I want to connect this world. I want people to uh, not feel alone in their experience. Mm, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for sharing everything about your experience, the highs, the lows, what makes it so sweet, you know, this whole experience and rich, and for going there today with me. I'm incredibly grateful to have spent the past hour or so to, to chat about this and share it with individuals. And thank you thank to you. everyone who took the time to listen. Make sure that you you called it the um, the chart, the lived experiences chart. Is that what it's called? Yeah, I can name it different things, but yeah, just your life journey. Life journey. Mm-hmm. And make sure to share that with Sarah. I'm going to have, what's the best way for people to connect with you? I think LinkedIn's the easiest because uh, you can search first and last name. So find me there uh, or you can find me on tributementorship.com. Beautiful. And we'll have the link so that you can download the Tribute app and and connect with the people that you're supposed to connect with. <laughs> Awesome. Naomi, thank you, thank you so much for hosting me on this. I, I admire the work that you do so much. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah.